welcome to Relay Chain, a podcast produced by Parity Technologies, where we discuss all things substrates, polka dots, and Web3. Today we have Jasmine Zhang from IOSG Ventures. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself, Jasmine? Uh, so I'm like venture partner from IOSG Venture. I joined actually the team like last year in October. Before that, I was actually working for another investor, like also invested in Polkadot. And actually, I grew up like in China. I started and worked in London, and then like in 2015, I moved to Berlin. Uh, so my background is in mathematics and uh, statistics. My first few jobs has been in like investment banking and consulting related, uh, especially in automobile industry and internet industry. And um, ever since I moved to um, Berlin, I've been working with startups very closely. And then like in 2017, actually, I started to get into like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency related, started to find out what blockchain technology can actually drive us to. So um, yeah, that is the start of um, my career basically in crypto scene. Yeah, so you obviously have like a lot of background in math and finance. And so you could do a lot of things. So like, why are you investing in Web3? And what's your what's your thesis around investing in Web3? Yeah, I think like definitely like Web3 has been like a very uh, hot topic. I think among like a um, lot of VCs, like we share similar views like on that. So for LSG, we, one of the important like focus um, or the field like we are looking at is also like Web3.0. I think this is like a kind of like a, like a field where no one really have a very clear definition. Like how do you define it? Yeah, I was going right? to ask you, how do you define Web3? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's like a really interesting question. Every time like I, I got this kind of like questions. I always like ask myself, like try to also improvise it and then try to use a very um, like intuitive way, like to explain what is it. So like for me, like um, I think it really helps to understand it. If we look at the timeline, if we look at like web one, web two, and then like we can maybe have like a easier time understanding it. So like for me, for example, like uh, web one, it means to read and obtain information like very passively. And for Web2, it is like read and write, and also you can interact very uh, freely with the other side of the world. So I think like at the moment we are living in the Web2, where most of the companies or like the applications like we are using every day is among like this field. So like imagine like the way like I come here, like I wake up and I use like Google to check the weather of today. I took a Uber like to come here. And then whenever I want to have like a food delivery, I go to Delivery Hero, I go to Meituan like from China, for example, if I want to send information, send news and to have um, some social contact with friends, I go with like WhatsApp, WeChat, like uh, Facebook and so on. And if I want to go to like uh, buy goods and so on, I go to Amazon, like Alibaba, Taobao and so on. So it definitely brings like more uh, convenience like to our daily life. And you just feel like you cannot really live without these kind of like applications. Yeah, because right? you're interacting with them. Exactly. Like all the time you interact with each other. On the other hand, you also feel like, okay, so... At the end of the day, they're all platforms. And then platforms, I think they create value by connecting the service providers and the end users, right? But they also like try to like maximize their profit, can one day expand like their commission fees from the two sides. So you are kind of like taking advantage 
off by them like in a certain way. And then you see like they salvage you like until every part of your life. And then like uh, they become like super huge. They become like giant, giant, like have like more money, have more capital, have more data that is actually generated by us, like the end users. And then they can use like all of these like resources to keep building like their monopoly like world. Yeah, so when you think about like the business models of Web2 companies, where do you yeah. think Web3 can come into that? Because you see that like these companies are offering, they have like kind of like two halves to them. There's like the good half, which is like the matchmaking and service provider relationship where like that's a valuable service to provide this, but they're actually getting a profit from yeah. like using data and all the thing that, things that Web3 kind of wants to take away from them. Yeah. And so, how do you see the shift happening where we can still provide like the valuable matchmaking services, but without the other half of where they're making all of their revenue? Yeah, I think like if you compare with like Web 1, like Web 2 definitely is a superior of it. I mean, it's definitely increased the efficiency of the whole industry because like with like Web 1, probably like you have to go to find all of these, all of these people who can in the end provide you like all of these services. But with Web 2, I mean, they put like everyone together in one system. But as you said, you also like try to, you know, get like more profit out of like the both sides and then like in the end pick them like the huge defendable like most by having like this strong like networks effect and high like a replacement like cost. So it's like, I think it's really hard to like, you know, like now to have these companies like, you know, fail like in some way. They just become like too big to die. And then like in a way, like, you know, when they become like really like a monopoly, um, I think they are also trying to like also being monopoly in the fields like they were at the very start, not really begin, begin with. Um, they are trying to like go into like penetrate into every part of life. life. They go to artificial intelligence. They go to like all different fields like we, we may interact like every day. And I think that is like the time where people started to think whether there is like another solution like for it. Like one all of these like a profits like you have in the end like by yourself generated whether you can actually used and controlled by yourself and i think for me that is like very naturally like think of like okay web 1 web 2 and then for web 3 it is like a new way like a more personalized ways like to share your data to be your own boss of the data like so you have like the ownership of your data it's going to be like more open more transparent and more fair Zuboff talked about this in surveillance, the age of surveillance capitalism. Like you mentioned that these companies have the moats around their yeah. their data, and yeah. that like a lot of like modern economic theory is based around this idea that everybody's kind of like equally ignorant, and you just yeah. kind of follow your own incentives. <laughs> and then like Google and Facebook kind of break this whole paradigm of like it breaks the assumptions of the like economic system mm -hmm. um, because you don't have everybody being equally ignorant. You have just like a few people who have all of this data. Like it seems like with this Web3 stuff, you can yeah. like... Um, it's like really something like people started to uh, think of like they should have like the equal right. The same tools. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like with the data, with the resources, with like the few in 21st century, like people, human, like uh, end users are generating, we want to, we would, should be also like share the amount of like a profit, like actually in the end get, generated. So I think people started to really, like one, I think when the civilization come to like another level, people started to think like also in their own, like uh, as an individual, like what kind of like right I could still really get like from the traditional like business models. So I think that is why like, you know, with like uh, the rise of like Web3, it got like, so much like attention. 
Yeah. So in Web3, like you, we have blockchain, of course, and then like you mentioned AI. Um, is IOSG invested in non-blockchain projects that you also see as being related to Web3? Uh, we actually only invested in like a blockchain like related projects. I think with uh, blockchain, it is already a very comprehensive like a field. It kind of like uh, connect uh, like uh, mathematics with cryptography, with uh, psychology, with philosophy, like um, you know, like all like in together. So we try to be like also really focused to be able to like you know like dig out the research, doing more research like on what is like a blockchain can really lead us like a different future or something. So that's why we only like invest in blockchain related like uh, projects. Yeah, sure. And even within blockchain, there's a lot of layers yeah. to it that you can talk about and yeah. get involved with from like the, like you said, like the cryptography yeah. um, all the way at the bottom and then like the higher level applications yeah. um, to how you actually use it. I think like before, like you mentioned like about this, like a non-blockchain related projects. I think like before, I think maybe a few years ago, like one Facebook having like this uh, social graph, it's kind of like in this, in the in the direction like they wanted to it's still like an ai like um like algorithm like a driven methodology that they put like people's likes people's comment you know like into one kind of like a package and then with like package like other like a system can already kind of define like what kind of person like you are what kind of answers like you can give and so on so it's like a package you have and then like maybe like when you have like a certain api you can just like with your like um, this Facebook ID, and you can just plug it into uh, like another website, and then like this website will also automatically have all of the data. Like if you want to share freely, or you want to get like benefit from it. So I think it was kind of like in this direction, but I didn't follow it like afterwards. But I think it's like you know something quite inspiring. So yeah, if we talk start talking about like the application stuff of blockchain, like you've done a lot of research on prediction markets and like DeFi. How do you see these changing finance? I think it is important to like not doing like DeFi because we want to decentralize it. Rather, like we want to provide like a, a more uh, open and permissionless like ecosystem for the yeah, financial. Yeah, I, I agree systems, with the right? semantic that yeah. uh, open is a much better exactly. word than decentralized. For yeah, this. yeah. So I think like open is like really important because like people, I think tend to forget like uh, actually like there are two to three percent of people in Southeast Asia like they. Only like this amount of people, they have a credit card. And like in the worldwide, there's like 30% of people don't really have access to a bank account. I think like it's kind of like, you know, hard to imagine like for people living in like developed countries, you have to like, you know, put yourself into their like a situation. I think like it's really like a, a strong like need like for them to actually enter like this financial like system. I mean, let alone the people like living in, for example, like Latin America and so on because of the politi politician like situation or some other reasons like, you know, um, their currency become like depreciated because of inflation and other reasons. So there is like this uh, strong like need, I think, for restructuring like this uh, financial like system. And that's why like we think that is where the technology should come in. There is that is where like the disruption like should actually come in. Yeah, so you have to like lower like the barriers and to be able to have more people to come into like this like ecosystem. And I think that is how you in the end automatically increase like the efficiency of the whole industry. Yeah, and there's like two issues here. One is like people who don't have access to banking yeah. or like financial services at all, and the other is people who do, but those systems are incredibly corrupt. Or exactly, you can't trust them. Yeah, and so like, how do you? How do you get people like first access and then how do you make sure that they have access to 
credible systems. Yeah, yeah. So that's why, like, I think it's um, if you if you consider like how difficult it is to reconstruct it, I think you can kind of like also imagine like um, why like at the moment we still don't really have like a very functional cross border like uh, remittance like methodology or projects like in this field. You have to kind of like you know uh, deal with like different parties like a uh, uh, profit or benefit. You have to connect everyone to build like this uh, trustful, stable, secure like uh, infrastructure. So I think it is like going to be for sure like somewhere in the near like a future. But I think it's definitely going to be something really meaningful and valuable like for the like uh, people, especially in the third world country. Yeah, and I also wanted to ask you about prediction markets. Yeah. And I guess, like, to some extent, prediction markets already exist. Like, if you look at credit default swaps or something like this, this is basically a prediction market that something's going to fail. Um, it's just only available to a very select few people. And so if you start making prediction markets kind of for everything, um, how do you see that influencing society? Or, like, what is the benefit or what are the risks also mm-hmm. of doing that? Mm-hmm. So I think, like, a Prediction like market like uh, it's definitely a very interesting and kind of like underestimated like uh, domain like in the DeFi or open finance world. Uh, if you look at like the total volume like locked in DeFi world, uh, you see like the top three like uh, project are actually like maker, uh, synthetic and compound. I mean all of them are actually like, in the lending and the borrowing like field, and then like um, with prediction market, they actually only have like, I think like, less than like 1% of the total volume locked over there. So I think it's kind of like underestimated, especially when you think of like how much volume is actually, how much, it just makes sense to have like a prediction market. I think for me, like the first time like, when I looked into like a prediction market, it was uh, because of this paper like published by uh, Friedrich Hayek yeah, yeah. in 1945, right? This like the knowledge of the society. And it was just like so true because he 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 mentioned also like a pointed out like a centralized authority will just never beat the efficiency of like a decentralized economy. And then like because like the knowledge is actually unevenly, unevenly like uh, dispersed among the whole uh, humanity. And only if you can combine them, you can have actually a better decision to be made. Yeah, and this is uh, exactly what Zuboff was talking about. She like called out Hayek specifically that his principles are often cited by yeah. big tech companies to say that like, oh, we should have this should be completely free and unregulated. But in fact, their model breaks the Hayekian assumptions that this is evenly distributed and like decentralized around society. Yeah, so I think the first step is like really important. Like you understand like there's a meaning like for prediction market to be existed. And then like you look at the centralized like uh, prediction market. Um, so first of all, it is like centralized. So it is not transparent. You know, you have like different kind of a risk among it. And secondly, it can be shut down like at any moment by any government. So we have actually already an example, right? We have this like, uh, I think this pr- prediction market launched in in Europe, in Ireland. It's called Intrade. It was um, kind of like uh, forbidden for Americans to use it in 2012. The American government was saying like it's kind of like economic reasons or something, but a lot of people suspect actually it is like more in the politician like reasons because like there are some of the markets like they have created, they actually uh, focus have been focusing on the regional elections and they have been just much more like a precise than the ones happening like over there. So yeah, America tends to be a little bit Puritan yeah. when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. So like you kind of like as a centralized as uh, a prediction market, you have this risk to be kind of like facing um, to be forced to shut down like your business and so on. 
And then they will be like also like probably like also less transaction fees, like if you are using like a decentralized traditional market. But I think like it's um, like when I try to like um, also try a few like uh, applications from like a decentralized prediction market, I think it's also like really facing a lot of challenges, even though like I'm in this space, I know some like basic ideas, but still it's kind of hard. So I can, for example, like just to uh, explain a bit of my journey, if I use, for example, Augur, right? So when I when I started it, I think if I imagine myself as someone like doesn't really know how that work and so on, I need to already expect myself to have like a function, like a crypto wallet. I need to be able to buy like all of those tokens, like Ether and Reputation tokens, like on the exchanges. And I have to be able to like move them around and I have to like, you know, with like all of these like uh, like uh, steps, it's already probably will like, you know, get some people like away from using it because it's just like not that easy. Like, I think it's a general problem. It's just like not only within Augur. I think it's a general problem. The learning is still like education is still like needed in the in the uh, blockchain application like projects. And for like secondly, if I want to like create a market, I think that the mechanism of like creating a market is really not that intuitive. It was not that easy. You have to like stake your ESA and then you have to also stake like your IEP so that you can able to like attribute like a diff, uh, rep, 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 reporters like afterwards and then like you get this amount of like a, a staked token just a hundred percent back when everything goes right but in the meantime actually you also lost your opportunity cost right especially i think in the first version the resolution time is like a seven days you know like you have seven days time you can probably use it you can like stick it into like a maker and try to get maybe some uh, interest rate like out of it so kind of like missing also the financial incentive to create this market let alone like the difficult mechanisms of uh, creating a market so this is like the second step like i was like trying to conquer like over there and certainly i think it's a liquidity like a problem i think liquidity just a it's really, it's really hard. It's like if you, if you want to like have actually like more liquidity like in the market, you have to maybe bring more entertaining like scenarios. But when you have the entertaining like scenarios, you kind of lead it to like the betting or gambling, like something just closer to getting like money out of it, right? And then like you face a challenge of jurisdiction and they tell you you cannot do that, something like that. So it's kind of like, you know, like... um challenge like how do you get over like with it right i mean now like they have like zero x like uh like i did and so on so i would also like expect like their uh, version two like to be like much um like fluent like smooth like with it but i think it's still like really hard like to solve the liquidity problem yeah i think like a lot of the the experience and like learning and those problems are going to get sorted as as the technology develops, and ideally, you don't really have to teach people how to use it. Like yeah. a, a five-year-old should be able to to use a, like a smartphone app and figure out what to do with it. But I'm actually like interested in the, what there should be prediction markets for. Like we could be like more entertaining, but there's a difference of like, well, is entertaining necessarily good or valuable? Yeah, I think it's it's. Um, I think entertaining will definitely bring some people in. I think it's like bring like more like a uh, liquidation in. So like if you are for sure like you can think of like a different kind of like entertaining like uh, scenarios, but like like a specific kind that is really you know not so much like facing challenges from like a jurisdictions, but also be able to attract people to come in. I just 
don't know like such a scenario yet. I mean, for sure there are smarter people can think of, but I just like uh, at the moment I don't know what would be like the answer like actually towards it. But I think like the the most difficult thing is still like less in the resolution time because if you go with like a centralized like a、uh, prediction market, it is almost like as soon as the event finished, you have like a clear like a、uh, almost. Immediate like resolution time, but I think with the decentralized ones, because sometimes like you just、uh, need to use like oracles like to be、um, involved, and like for some like events, it's just not that easy to use like a you know even much more advanced artificial intelligence to catch the data. You need somehow still like the involvement of people, which is like the so-called reporters, right? But I think as soon as you have people inside. You will also introduce like more challenges because people are just complicated. It's like we are playing like game theory like all the time. There will be the problems like surrounding the honest answers. What if you actually like、uh, get more paid? Like if you provide like a wrong answer, then you provide a right answer. I mean, even though in the end you will be maybe reported and so on, but it still like damage like the network of the platform, right? Yeah. And then like secondly, if you have it, like what what about like this kind of like retirement attack? What if these people just don't care about this anymore? They just、uh, okay.、Uh, if I lost my reputation by giving a wrong answer, I would just leave the platform like forever and not going to coming back anymore. So. What does it like influence me? And I think the third like a difficulty would be how to really match the kind of like a、uh, event with the kind of like the、uh, reporters like who are actually in this field. How to like make it more efficient for them to find the kind of reporters would be more suitable like for this event. Consequence, yeah, because with a centralized system, you're basically like offloading that、yeah. trust to the, yeah, you know, to decide what the outcome was. Exactly, exactly, and also like you have just like this centralized authorization, like to do like all of these stuff. So it is efficient, but of course, on the other hand, like you you introduce like other problems. Yeah, so unless like when prediction markets relate to open finance, how do you like what's the value or benefit of having prediction markets? What like edge does that give or enhancement? I think, like as I said, like earlier, I think it's definitely、like, a field that is、uh, underestimated like, at the moment. I think, like at the moment, like most of the like、uh, open finance, like DeFi projects, they are in the borrowing and lending like field. But it can be like something quite dangerous, like in a way, because most people are trying to speculating like from it. What if like one day, you know, like the token price got、uh, really volatile and like people can't start to be burned. And then, like you know, people will just like leave this like a、uh, platform and go for something else. So I think it would be like actually necessary to have to introduce like more new like a real world asset like on the blockchain. So,、um, not just like borrowing and lending, rather like how to like tokenize some of the、um, existing like a financial instruments like on the blockchain. And I think it would be also like necessary to have. De- or decentralized、uh, insurance. So I think, like for a lot of in- institutions, there will be like some hesitation, like for them to enter. So first of all, for sure, it's still like the UI UX. It's not that easy. It's not that intuitive, like to go in. But secondly, I think it's also like how they are going to dealing with the interest rate they are getting or the profit they are getting from these like DeFi open finance like、uh, projects. And thirdly, would be they doesn't really have like a hedging product. In the market yet, so like if you compare with like the traditional market, we see like different hedging tools, we see different like swaps, we see different like CDOs and so on. I think that is something like you know a more 
comprehensive, have more complex like a financial system. I've, I see like this trend like also being uh, replicated like in the decentralized world, but I think it might be like something like that is going to be boom like in the in 2020, and that is also something like we hope to see like more projects like in the decentralized insurance like hedging instrument too. Yeah, a lot of these like lending protocols are yeah. the foundation of hedging instruments. Like a, yeah. I mean, in order to do a short sale, you need to have a lending protocol yeah. behind it. Yeah. So, I want to transition a little bit from like the DeFi or open finance and Web3 stuff into more like valuation because, I mean, blockchain investment funds are quite new, but investment funds are not. And so there's a lot of like historical valuation models for like public companies or private companies like discounted cash flow. And those don't necessarily apply to a protocol like Polkadot. And so how do you go about valuing one of these protocols? I think it's really, really tough question. I mean, this has been the things like we have been doing a lot of research on, but Still, like now, I think it's really hard to give like a very, like defined or very clear answer, like to to solve this problem, because like for the traditional like ways to evaluate like the projects, you can use like uh, the DCFs, like a uh, discounted like uh, cash flows to evaluate like a company when the company have a very clear like cash flow business model. But I think like at the moment, it's like really rare to see like a blockchain projects like you know having like such a clear like a business model so it brings so much like a difficulty in evaluating it so besides like you know just to compare with traditional ways to look at the projects like we look at the team look at the founders look at the business models look if they have look at the technology look at the tractions the market and so on so we also like try to see like you know whether the blockchain projects using like their token and the token can function well and also capture the volume. I think it's really important because a lot of times you have like blockchain projects, they have the tokens, but like they just doesn't really have a necessary use. You don't really need to have like such a token to be in your system. And if you have like a, like a token, whether you can incentivize everyone to have like a land interest with it, and then like whether this token can really capture like any like uh, added volume like you have like for this industry. I think that is really something we are trying to figure out and to put into like the model, like we evaluate the projects. Yeah, and I guess you can extend that to like, there are going to be tools around blockchain um, for developers and also like applications that are built on blockchain, but that don't have a token, right? Yeah. And so how do you go about evaluating like one of these companies that says like, hey, we're going to build our application on Polkadot, but Mm -hmm. we're not going to have our own token. How do you value something that's on something else that you don't really know how to value? So I think like the most of the volume of like the the apps, like who for example like building on Polkadot, um, the volume gonna be mostly shown like from the Polkadot valuation. Uh, I think for the apps, it would be like important like to look at like their market they are targeting at, if they don't have the token at all. So to look at their market share, like that would be like important. Yeah, like one of the things I wanted to ask you about was like the opportunity that you see with blockchain interoperability, but it kind of relates to like, I guess this question relates to my own opinion, which is composability. And that's that like, you could have an application that doesn't have a blockchain itself, but that it's using blockchain. So it might like use an identity chain as its sign-on, it might use like a stable coin chain for payments, it might use like a decentralized exchange to operate its other tokens um, and just present like a single interface to the user. And so you could actually have like 
an application that's built on blockchain, but it doesn't have a blockchain itself. I guess, how would you think about a company like that? Do you mean like kind of like consortiums, like these kind of companies? No, not a consortium, but like... What would be like an example like of it? Well, there there are no examples on blockchain. Okay. That's, that's what I hope will happen with Polkadot. But um, yeah, I mean, if you just look at like a Web2 example, yeah. like you could have Airbnb that uses like some identity service for its sign-on and it uses PayPal to do its payments. Yeah. And it could use like a another like file storage system for like hosting all the pictures of the apartments or something, right? Yeah. Like you do the same thing on blockchain where you're using these different where just like the payment system is on blockchain and the sign-on system is on blockchain. Mm -hmm. um, but the actual application itself doesn't have its own blockchain. It's just composed of all these other blockchain mm -hmm. apps. So that would be probably like the mission of like uh, what Polkadot is going to like uh, build or like uh, provide with, right? Yes. I think Polkadot is like really like for us like as um, like early stage investor and also like did investor in the second round. I think like we we do really have like a huge like belief and a huge expectation of like what Polkadot is gonna be like a build, uh, like a provide you know, like to the whole blockchain industry. I think we like to like uh, compare like um, Polkadot to the whole blockchain ecosystem, like the TCPIP towards the internet like field. So you need like this kind of like underlying like uh, protocols, like uh, infrastructure agreement so that you can have like a more prosperous like ecosystem. I really like like what Substrate is doing. I think it's like a very long-sighted like a uh, product, like a um, popular team is like uh, doing so that, you know, people can um, at the at the same time, like at the at the first moment when they started to use like a substrate, it got connected to the Polkadot like a relay chain, and then it can immediately share like the interoperability and also the pool security. So I think it gives like also actually like, more people with like a traditional industrial like background like more freedom or like more time to think about like some specific use cases because people have been like uh, you know kind of like distracted or they have to focus on this like trilemma like um, in the blockchain technology right and they have to take care of like the scalability take care of like the decentralization and also the security but with like uh, you know like this ecosystem like uh, Polkadot is like uh, providing so they can have like more time to think of like some more intuitive like interesting use cases like based on the like uh, industrial like knowledge they have gathered for their professional years professional like a background so yeah. i think that is really like um something like we are hoping to see like uh, in the upcoming like years especially like this year popular is going to like have a midnight life so we're excited like as well, well hopefully in a few weeks <laughs> yeah oh okay yeah. that's news yeah so maybe by the time we release this there will be a Polkadot mainnet. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. So the last thing I wanted to talk about was that um, so IOSG is like mostly a Chinese team, but you're quite invested in the German blockchain area, um, and you're full time in Berlin. Yeah. Um, and so, like, could you just discuss like why there's a huge blockchain blockchain scene in Asia? Like, what made you come to Germany and Berlin specifically to focus on this? Um, I think like at the moment, if you just uh, take a very general look at the whole world, like a uh, blockchain scene. I mean, Germany, China, like Asia and the America is definitely the places like you should not miss. And then like we actually have already like two offices like in Asia and the States and we 
want to actually like be also very closer to the German blockchain scene because we just see huge potential. A lot of projects we have invested in actually are in the like German like blockchain ecosystem. So I tend to be like also often like asked, how do you compare with the two ecosystem between Germany and Asia, like China, I would say. I think like both places, they have like really um, crazy smart people have really interesting like projects and have a lot of universities like you know having providing like uh, blockchain related courses and also keep sending the talents to the space but also like I see like a very obvious like um, difference like between these two is that I think like for me I think especially after five years like stay in Berlin I see like um, especially in blockchain scene, I think um, most of the projects are actually very tech-driven and community-driven. And then like in China, it is more capital-driven and led by the government. So um, to explain it, I think like if you if you are in Berlin, a lot of like projects they do very often they host they host like different like workshops. They have like different events, and then mo- most of the times, I think like the ones at least I have visited. Mostly, like you know, talk a lot about like technology, how how they have achieved, you know, like all of the development, like in this field. And here, like apparently, it's just like you know, like a such a paradise for developers. You see, like developers coming from all of the world. It's such a great, like you know, chemistry. Like here, like feels so energetic. And then, like I think in China, it's like kind of like different in a way that capital driven. What I meant is like, um, I think Chinese projects are kind of most of them actually quite realistic you know like they see like where the capital is they see where could it have like very clear like business models and then like the most of projects are actually in those fields because if you if you see like i think of like uh you know the kind of projects like is having a very clear like cash flows for example like the mining pools exchanges uh like this kind you you can think of like most of them actually chinese companies are like operated by like chinese companies so uh, ch- operated by chinese like uh, people like doing this so i think they can tend to like gather around like where the capital like is you know try to like also get make money and out of it and so on but it's also like on the other hand it has like also very live like community scene it's just like not as big for example here or not as obvious as here and then like secondly i think like in like china it is quite led by government i think like especially like last year one presidency like mentioned like uh, to take blockchain as a big uh, breakthrough. I think you can really see a lot of companies, corporates, institutions that are to they started to like uh, figure out or trying to like fin- find like different ways to work with like blockchain technology. They try to like you know um, find out what blockchain technology can actually add value to their own their like current business. So like you see like Tencent, you see like Alibaba, they have been doing like a different like stuff like with with like a blockchain. So I think it's kind of like also very efficient like in this way because it's led by the government. Government encourage corporates, encourage like projects to discover more. So it's more top down. Yeah, it is more top down like um, um, approach, I would say. But here, I think like the government is also like a trying. They published like uh, the national blockchain strategy, like I think last year, and trying to be like also taking a more important role, like to here. But I think they could still do a bit more because it's such a great place. Like in Berlin, have a great community, great like uh, smart people, really great projects, and I think they would deserve like more support from 
Kaufman said as well. Yeah, it goes a little bit the opposite direction here in <laughs> Germany. You have to kind of yes. like, it comes from the bottom up that you have yes. to then like kind of approach them and convince the government that this is a yeah. good... But I think it can be like also really energetic in a way that we think maybe like the next killer app going to be actually grab or have or initiated by the community. So this this application has to be oriented, have like a customer base. So you have to think about like how to make your user be happy, how to really provide like a privacy to the user. So if you are closer to the community, I think you can be also like more just full of ideas like with it. So it would be like also great have a just I find different atmosphere, different like ecosystem. You can have, you can also find different like opportunities out of it. Yeah, that's like a big thing in Berlin. There's so many meetups and yeah. um, community events, and like there's no talk ever about like the prices and tokens yeah. and stuff. Like, yeah, um, I felt so much calm down, like you know, when I'm here because I'm just like you know, I find the first a few times like when I visited a few like blockchain meetups here, there were a few times we were talking a bit of the like a token price, and suddenly I felt like you know kind of get dispersed. Like, what are you talking about? Like, no token price. We just, like, you know, want to focus on our technology and so on. So it's just, like, you know, very pure, like, uh, atmosphere. I think it can keep people to be focused on what they want to, to like, build. Yeah, even, like, within Europe, it's, like, a very small group. Because, like, I came here from France. And, like, in France, everybody's just talking about, like, ICOs and prices and everything. And then I came here, and it was, like, never talk about this. We only talk about technology. Yeah. So I think it's definitely a great, like a great, great like atmosphere. I'm just very happy to be able to like, you know, travel around between these two big markets. And um, yeah, we're just looking forward to see like more opportunities actually also here in Germany. Yeah. So I think we'll wrap it up here. Is there anywhere that uh, people should go if they want to get in touch with you or uh, IOSG? I put my email address like over there <laughs> so like people can okay. reach out. All right. Sounds great. We'll put it in the notes. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to Relay Chain. We'd love to keep in touch. Follow us on Twitter at Relay Chain or email podcast at parity.io. Our team at Parity includes some of the leading peer-to-peer networking developers, consensus algorithm inventors, blockchain innovators, and Rust developers. If you want to learn more about our work or want to work with us, visit our website at parity.io and sign up for our newsletter at parity.io newsletter. 